This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. I just want to encourage you. Um, I know life is crazy and busy, um, but I just want to encourage you to to find some time each day where you can you can just do that. Just take even if it's a, a passage, a part of a chapter or a chapter, and just just read it and and know that when you're reading this, we're not just reading a book, we're not just reading a textbook, but we're reading the words of God given to us. That's God speaking to us. And so we read and we say, "Okay, God, well, how do I know you? How do I hear you?" and and create the discipline and the space to sit and be. So often the reason we, our relationship with God feels meh, kind of flat, kind of stagnant, is we're not, we're not tasting and seeing that he's good. We're not experiencing him. And so often the reason we don't experience him is because we're experiencing everything else in just a whirlwind of, of speed throughout the day. And we just don't have time where we sit and we, we just be with God. And so I just want, I want to encourage you just to, even if right now you're like, okay, I'm, I'm in, grab your phone, put it on your calendar for Monday. Like, find a time right now. That's great, you know, and be like, all right, if it's in the morning, put that thing in there, set an alarm. If it's midday, right, whatever it is, just find some time and some space to be in the presence of God and take that step of faith, trusting that there's no greater thing we can do. Right, that, that it's greater than our jobs, it's greater than our families, it'll actually make us better at our jobs, better at our, with our families um, because we are becoming more like Jesus. And so just encourage you to take that time. Spend that time with him um, and just to create that, that discipline. That, that's, that's not Mark 16, which is where we are today in, in our, our sermon, but um, you know, we, we're here more than just a sermon. We actually want to engage with God. Um, and, and so I just felt like God was inviting us to, to be in his presence and to slow down and, and listen for him. So uh, Mark chapter 16 is where we are going to be. We're going to wrap up the book of Mark. Uh, le- next week, Stephen will kind of give us a, a recap summary of the book of Mark. Um, and then the week after that, August 7th will be our first Sunday in our, our new building, the new facility, the Boy Scout building at something, 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 35 in Parmer. I don't even know the address. I just know it's 35 in Parmer. Um, but it's the only thing, if you search Boy Scouts of America, it's the only thing in the area that's going to pull up. So um, we'll be there next, uh, August 7th will be our first Sunday. Um, and, and we're going to start then, uh, I believe, just a small little series on trust. I think God's been uh, really impressing me on what, do, what is faith, what is trust, and how does it play itself out um, in our lives? How do we trust? Like, what, what do we trust? How do we trust? Um, and then after that, we're going to do, um, I think, a three-part series just on what has God called us to as a church, uh, loving God, loving others, and leading people to the fullness of life in Jesus and then assuming God doesn't change anything, we'll begin going through the book of Ruth after that, um, which should be, I think, four weeks. It's a narrative, four chapters, so we should hit a chapter a week. Uh, and then after that, uh, and again, if God doesn't change anything right now, I'm thinking uh, first, second, and third John after that. Uh, so just giving you a heads up of, of where I think we'll go. That'll easily take us through the rest of the year uh, and probably into the next year. Uh, of course, God has every right to change things, so... It may change, but right now that's what, that's what I'm looking at and, and thinking at um, for what's coming up. Mark 16, one of my uh, favorite verses uh, is not out of the book of Mark, it's actually out of the book of John. It comes out of John chapter one, but I think it fits well uh, to, to where we are in the story of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. John chapter one, verse uh, four and five says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. 
the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. I, I, just, I just love that, that verse of hope that the light of Jesus shines into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness cannot overcome it, right? If you're in a dark room and you shine the light, what wins? The light. Like, you don't shine a light in a dark room and dark's like, ha ha, no way, you know, and like, still no light. No, no, the light overcomes the darkness, always. And I love that Jesus is the light of the world and the darkness cannot overcome it. And that's the hope of the resurrection, is that even on the darkest day when the, literally the earth went dark from, from 12 to three for three hours, when the hope of the world and the light of the world was, was snuffed out and buried in a dark tomb, that the darkness cannot overcome the light of Jesus. And that's the hope we have in the resurrection. Hope is the belief that things will be better. Hope is the, the, the not, not just like wishful thinking hope, right? Like Michaela's hoping she's gonna get a Jeep as a, as a first car, or at least that's one of the many. She's like, hey, I would like a Jeep. You know, it's like, okay, cool, keep hoping. Um, like that's wishful thinking hope. That's not gonna happen, right? They're like, oh, we should get a golf cart. Okay, keep hoping. We're not buying a golf cart. So you can get a golf cart or a car. And she's like, I'll take a car. Like, exactly, right? And you know, so there's all this wishful thinking hope, but like hope, that, that real confidence and belief that tomorrow at least could be better than today, right? That hope believes that that the, the light, the sun will rise again, right? That, that this season, this darkness, this challenge will have an end date, it's that confidence, that belief. If we don't have hope, really, are we, we may, are we even living? Like, we may physically be alive, but are we living? You know, have you ever met someone, they're like, they're alive, but they're not alive. Like, they're just, they're checked out. When we lose hope, we lose that, 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 that confidence, that drive to live. Psychologists um, over the years have been tasked with studying um, why do some prisoners of war make it and others don't? You know, they're, they're trying to teach those in the military, like, okay, if you're captured, here's what you do. Like, here's how you survive. Because in some, you know, prisoner of war camps, under the same circumstances, same situations, the same, you know, challenges, some make it and some don't. And, and one of the things that they say always is present in those that make it is the belief that they're going to get out. Like, they don't deny the reality that they're in. They're, it's not like this wishful thinking hope, like, oh man, tomorrow it's, it's just gonna all be over, right? They, they embrace the reality, but they hold on to this confidence, this real belief that this season will end. They're going to make it out. And they would say, I mean, for, for our brothers that, that lost that hope, they just really lost the will to fight, the drive to, to press on, and it was only a matter of time before the their physical health took a toll, they got sick, they just gave up and they, they didn't make it. But for those who survive something like that, there's hope, always hope. I believe we're going to make it and to get out. If hope is dead, again, we may physically be alive, but we're really dead, we're not living. If you have no hope that tomorrow could be better than today, what's the point of facing tomorrow? Am I right? If we have no hope, no confidence, it's only a matter of time. Today we reach the, the climax of Jesus, the story of Jesus, the, 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 perhaps the whole climax of the Bible, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul tells the Corinthians, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we have no hope. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our faith is in vain. 
if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we, we're the most to be pitied. Right? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, I, I will be the first one to shut this down and sleep in on Sundays. Right? Like, I'm, I'm the first one in, and I'll figure something else out, right? So if Jesus, if Mark 16 doesn't happen, if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, then we, I'm, go ahead and toss it. Be done. Right? There, what's the point of following Jesus if he's still dead? This is the, the, the pinnacle it's, it's everything, and, but if Jesus rises from the dead, if Jesus is alive today, as the Bible says, then here's the thing too. You and I have to answer to that. Like we have to give a response to that, and even if the response is indifference, that is a response. But if Jesus is alive today, right here, you and me, don't think about, oh man, them, there, and there, like, you and me here today, we have to respond to the fact that this man lived, died, was buried, and is alive today. What do we do with that? What does that mean for us? The resurrection is the pinnacle of everything. It changes everything. Our faith rises and falls on this. If this does not happen, move on. But if Jesus is alive, which I believe he is, it affects us here now today. We can't just passively act like it didn't, it's whatever. We have to respond to that. So Mark 16, let's look at it, verse one. When the Sabbath was passed, so remember the Sabbath for a Jewish culture was a Saturday. Sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. Right, so when the Sabbath has passed, that, that is when it's now dark Saturday night through all of the day Sunday until the sun goes down again. Right, so when the Sabbath is passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Right, so this is sometimes Sunday morning. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. Thank you, Mark. Great commentary. Sometimes it's just, I just love the, the, the different styles you get. The stone was rolled away. It was large. Okay, cool. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. Let's stop there. The ladies roll up to the tomb to anoint Jesus, and there's a, a man dressed in white sitting off to the side. Matthew says it was an angel of God who's actually sitting on the stone, right? Like just total power move, sitting on the stone, and, and that they are alarmed. This, this word when we read this, you know, it, it, it just kind of lacks the punch, right? We think alarmed, like I walk around a corner and sometimes I'm like, whoa, you know, and it's like, oh gosh, like that alarmed me, that frightened me. But but this word alarmed, and you, you see it in Matthew and Luke, it's, it's a deep, like, down-to-the-soul terror. Like, they are in shock and fear and awe. They're frozen. Their heart's pounding, right? Their, their skin is tingling. Like, they are absolutely petrified from, from the inside to the out. Like, just try to put yourself, can you, what, what brings that to you? Right, like what brings absolute panic and terror and fear where your whole body is like just in knots? 
I was trying to think about that, and for whatever reason, the first thing that popped in my head was back in the day when Michaela was little. I think she was the only kid we had at the time, so um, that's been a, been a few years, and we were at a lake house with, some, with our family, and, and it, was, um, it was a lake house that the, the, the backyard just went down to the, to the lake, and so the, the deck was an elevated deck because of the slope of, of the backyard, and, and it was wood steps, um, I don't know, 15 or so stairs, and, and I don't know what, like, rookie parent, you know, just, this, this should tell you everything, you know, babies are durable, man, they are just straight durable, it's incredible, right, and so I'm sitting there drinking coffee on the deck, and I see little Michaela, she couldn't have been two even, I don't know, and she's just like toddling along, and I see her walking to the, the stairs, and I don't know why, as a parent, I'm like, she's gonna stop, <laughs> I mean, come on, right? Apparently, they didn't realize yet at that age, gravity and stairs, and like your legs don't make it to the next one, and so literally, I just watch her go, and then she's gone. Like, I'm, I'm sitting there, and it's slow motion, and I'm what? And one second, she's there, and the next second, my, my less than two-year-old daughter has plummeted easily 20 feet down these wooden steps, and I mean, like, my heart is pounding, my stomach immediately tenses, because in one sense, there's nothing scarier than the helplessness you feel in seeing your child hurt or, or struggle, or like, where you're like, I can't, what? you know, like it's, it's, I mean, just rips everything out of you. So I run over there, and thankfully, she had rolled down a couple, and, and like fallen in between the stairs, and was dangling, like, was one vertical post, like her arm was caught there and the other one was on the stairs and she was just like hanging there. And so I grab her and let I me mean, look at her. She's great, you know, she's made it through her freshman year in high school. I mean, come on, everything's fantastic now. Way to go, yes, 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 way to, I, I see, I feel like we should be clapping for, for the parents here, <laughs> you know? No, okay, thank you, Molly. Um, but I just remember that feeling of like, I really expected to get around the corner and see her lifeless on the ground. Like, there's no way if she falls the whole way. I'm just like, it was petrifying. Maybe you felt it with a car wreck, like a close call. You know, like you're just so close and your legs are shaking and your whole, like, it, th this is what the Greek word is describing. Absolute terror. Their body is shutting down. They're frozen. They are it just overwhelmed from the outside through the inside. Everything about them is terrified about this scene. Why? Why are they so afraid? Let's put ourselves in their shoes. Verse 1 says, When the Sabbath had passed, that they got spices so that they might go and anoint him. That they might go and anoint him. Jesus. They get these spices to come and, and really prepare and, and to put on his body so that his dead body is not decaying as quickly, so that it doesn't smell and reek, so that when visitors come, there's not this awful smell coming out of a body that is decaying. The reason I'm telling you this is that these witnesses of the life and death of Jesus completely expected to find a dead body. Jesus was dead. You don't go and anoint a living body that, you know, like you're, you're going, this is a funeral, this is a, a, a graveside preparation. It's an act of love and adoration to someone who is buried and dead. 
right? So they are expecting Jesus to be dead. And, and so in addition to the fact that they're grieving the, the loss of, of someone they loved, they're also walking to this grave with their hope completely crushed. Because Jesus had come in and said, hey, follow me. Jesus had come in and asked them to give up everything and follow him, that he was bringing in a new kingdom, that he was bringing in a new way of life, that he was bringing in abundant life. And so these women and the disciples literally gave up everything and put all of their eggs in the basket of Jesus. Right, they took all of their, their retirement and they put it under Jesus. They took all of their present you know, income and they put it under Jesus. They put all of their family relationships, their friendships, and it was all under Jesus. Literally, their entire life was invested in this man. Their hope and dreams were tied up in what Jesus said, and now Jesus was dead. Their, their hope for a future is gone. Their hope for eternal life is, is gone because life is, is dead. Their hope for a better day is crushed. And so now they're in that place of complete hopelessness. Can, can, you, can you remember a time where you felt hopeless? Like really hopeless. Like you, you, you applied for the job again and nothing. And you're just dejected. What is it about me? I can't even pay my bills anymore. How am I going to survive? You've been trying and trying and trying to have a baby, and then when you get pregnant, you miscarry. You just, you're just hopeless, defeated. What do, you, what do you do about that? You can't just put together some formula and fix that. You invested your whole life in a career and then the company folds and you got nothing. You up and move to this town with someone that you love because you got a future together and then that person leaves. Like I, I, I you know, what, what is it for you? Can you remember a time where you just felt hopeless? Because, because in those moments, man, life, it just gets dimmer and darker and it's, it's hard to press on. It's, it you, leaves you in a vulnerable place. Fear and anxiety and insecurity and doubt and worry. And those, those are all close relatives to hopelessness. Right, can, can you relate to this? I mean, I've talked many times of, man, we had dreams of how this was gonna happen when we would plant Austin Life Church, and man, I wrote this like story out in my head of what it was gonna look like, and the story looks absolutely nothing like that. Like, just completely, it's like I was writing in English and the story is in Latin. Like, it was just completely different, and it, man, I have felt many times of hopelessness. It, and those are the nights, those are the seasons when I'm most tempted to just throw in the towel and just say, forget it. Nothing's happening. It's not going the way we thought. Our family's struggling. Let's just forget it. Right? When you're hopeless, when you've put your hopes and dreams in something and it's fallen apart, I mean, it's crushing. And fear and anxiety, insecurity, I man, it all comes in together, right? And so these women are coming to the to the tomb, not only grieving, like a real grief, 
the loss of someone that they loved, but also their hopes were tied up to this person. And now he's gone. Everything they were dreaming for, dead and buried. Right? Can, can, you, can you start to imagine and feel the, the hopelessness and the, just the angst they were probably experiencing? And that's before they get to a scene that's like out of the Avengers or something. Right, where they, they, they walk up and there's an angel in white sitting on the stone. The stone, they were like, how are we gonna move this huge stone? There's an angel sitting on it. The stone is rolled away and there's a guard of soldiers passed out in fear. Which Mark doesn't even address the guards, but, but Matthew does, right? Matthew, it says in verse 27, or chapter 27, after Jesus was buried, the religious leaders were afraid that his disciples were gonna come in and steal the body because Jesus had prophesied about rising from the dead three days later, and so the religious leaders go to Pilate, and they're like, hey, Pilate, bro, we cannot have this Jesus guy missing from the tomb. If Jesus goes missing, like, your career falls apart, our influence falls apart, this Jesus guy must stay in the tomb. And so Pilate says, you're right, do whatever you need to do to secure the tomb. And so you've got this huge stone, right, that was big enough to put a grown person in, and not only a grown person in, but to have other people go into and prepare the body and wrap the body, right? So it's, a, it's not just like a rock like this, it's a massive stone. And the way they would roll it is they would, they would carve out a, um, a channel right at the bottom of the, the entrance to the cave, and they would roll this stone into the channel, it's not difficult to get the stone into the channel, thank you, gravity. It is pretty difficult to go against gravity and get the stone out of that groove, that channel. So these three grown women are like, how are we going to roll the stone away? They genuinely have no clue how they're going to do that because of the weight of the stone and that it is sunk into the ground. So that's protection number one to keep whatever's in that tomb in and not let it out. Protection number two is Pilate seals the stone with a seal of Rome. Think of a, a letter. Anybody ever done like the old wax stamp thing on a letter? I've always wanted to. It seems super cool, but I'm really lazy, and I just don't think I would take the time to melt the wax, right? But you, you put the wax over the, the envelope, and then you stamp it with your seal, and, and basically when the letter arrives to Mark, and he looks at it, and he goes, okay, the seal is unbroken, therefore whatever's inside this envelope has been untouched, hasn't been tampered with, because this seal is, is still intact. And so Rome had this seal that they would basically put over the stone onto the edge of the, 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 the mountain, the tomb, and as long as that seal was unbroken, then you could be safe and, and confident and know that, okay, no one's been in, nothing's been out. But if the seal was broken, you had the full power of Rome after you, right? You, you, you've now committed treason against Rome, and you've got the force of Rome after you, right? So there was a huge motivation not to break the seal of Rome. Thricely, it's a fun word, <laughs> Thricely, Pilate says, hey, take a guard of soldiers. 16 trained soldiers who are threatened with the death of their lives, terrible English, who are threatened by death that if they fail at their job, they will be killed. So you've got 16 soldiers that are placed 
intentionally around this tomb guarding it. If they fall asleep, if they fail, they're dead. So the, the ability to get into this tomb or out of this tomb is not very easy. And, and so why am I telling you this? One is to help just help portray the situation for the women, but two, the number one objection that I've heard to the resurrection of Jesus is that someone stole the body. That is a legit argument that people make to the historical resurrection of Jesus. Listen to me. If Jesus is alive, you must do something with that. We need to know if Jesus is alive. There is a lot of historical, factual evidence like this is not just in the Bible. This is outside this is outside of religious writings. This is known fact that Jesus was dead, was placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, that there was a Roman seal on it, Roman guards, and the stone in front of it. And so you've got all of that evidence that says it is unlikely that someone is getting in that tomb. On top of that, Let's say the disciples did overtake 16 guards, did break the Roman seal, and and did push the, the stone back and steal the body of Jesus. They are then eventually all, except for John who died in exile, going to be executed for their faith in Jesus. I've watched enough TV shows of like CIA and FBI, everybody talks at some point. That's what they always say. Everybody talks. When multiple people are being tortured and executed for their faith in Jesus, at some point, someone is choosing their life over the lie if Jesus, in fact, was stolen and didn't resurrect. But you've got dozens and hundreds of witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus that over the years lose their life for this faith. At some point, someone's speaking up. There's a lot of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And we have to do something with that. So I tell you that, A, to give just some evidence, just some solid historical evidence, but then B, to help paint the picture of the scene that these women walk up on. There's not a single encounter between a human and an angel in the Bible where there's not absolute wet your pants terror. Like, it's just terrifying. If an angel suddenly appears here, how many of you, that's gonna be like, oh yeah, cool, another, another angel. Like, normal occurrence. It'll be the first for me. And it will probably, I'm out. Like, I don't have to run the fastest, I just have to run faster than some of y'all. You know what I'm saying? I'm gone. Every encounter, it's just terror. And you got this angel power move sitting on the stone, 16 guards passed out in terror and fear, right? The seal is now broken. There's a lot of fear with this scene. On top of the grief and the hopelessness they're feeling, and then the angel has the audacity to not just encourage, but command, do not be afraid. You walked up here hopeless and defeated and discouraged, and and I, I mean, I will tell you, when I'm hopeless and defeated, fear is like, oh yeah, I'm afraid of everything. I don't want to try anything. I don't want to risk anything. I don't, I don't want to put myself out there. And he's like, hey, don't be afraid. Excuse me? Easy for you, Mr. Angel. 
how does he say, don't be afraid? What is his, what is his argument? What is, his, what is his angel's confidence that he can command these people, that he can command us, don't be afraid? Verse six says, do not be afraid. Why? Because you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was in fact crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Hey, ladies, don't be afraid. Jesus is alive. You don't need to be afraid because he's alive. You, you came here looking for, you just missed him. He's not here. He just, he just took off. The anchor for why these women are commanded to not be afraid is that Jesus is not dead. He is alive. If Jesus is alive, that means everything they place their hope in is alive. If Jesus is alive, that means the future for a better day is alive. That means that it's not crushed, it's not done, it's not gone. Jesus is alive, just as he said. That phrase stood out to me this time. At the end of verse seven, there you will see him just as he told you. It stood out to me because if, if Jesus rose from the dead just as he said, that means everything else Jesus said is just as he said. If Jesus did not rise from the dead just as he said, we can take everything else he said and be like, well, if this isn't true, why can I trust this to be true? But if Jesus rose from the dead just as he told you, then everything else he said will be just as he told you. It breathes hope and confidence and the promises of God into the souls of these women and everyone else throughout the course of history. It means that Jesus is true to his word. That when he says something, it will happen. So what else has Jesus said? It means that it's true that Jesus gave his life as a ransom. He says in Mark 10 that he didn't come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. If, if it's true that Jesus rose from the dead just as he said, then it's true that he gave his life as a ransom just as he said. That, that you and I and these women and the disciples were slaves to sin and there was a, a ransom price that had to be paid for that. There was a punishment that had to be paid, a debt that was owed. Jesus paid that debt for them. That's what he said in Mark 10. And it's true that he did just as he said. That our sins are forgiven on the cross of Jesus. If Jesus rose from the dead just as he said, then it also means that there is eternal life for those who trust in him just as he said. That for any who believe in him, who trust in him, they will not die but live eternally. If it's true that he rose from the dead just as he said, then it is true that he comes to bring eternal life just as he said. It's true that for all who are weary and heavy laden, that if we come to him, he will give us rest. If the promise of the resurrection is true, the promise of him giving us rest is true. It's true then that nothing is impossible for God. It's, it's true then 
that in him we have abundant life, the fullness of joy. It's true that everything he said, that, that when we seek first his kingdom, he will take care of our needs. These are all the things that these women, because he rose just as he said, they can take everything else he said and said, okay, that is true too. I don't have to fear because Jesus said he is with me, therefore that's true, I don't have to fear. That the entire word of God we can take and trust and believe just as he said, and listen, that changes everything. So what does that mean for me and you? At some point, we have to take this and now apply it to our lives. You and me will have to answer to God for what he said to us. I don't have to answer for you. You have to answer to God for you. And he's proven to us his love by the cross and he's proven to us that he is true to his word through the resurrection of his son just as he said so the question you and I will have to answer is do we trust him have we surrendered our life in faith to him like I said we're going to talk about this because that word trust is a tricky word I think there's a lot of people who believe in God and believe in Jesus and believe in heaven but have not trusted in Jesus and thus they are separated from him. Have you trusted him? It's evidenced in a life of surrender. That's how we know. We can trust him because he's true to his word because he rose from the dead just like he said. We're told, commanded to not be afraid, to have no fear. I don't know about you, but I feel like fear is always looming around somewhere. But if Jesus rose from the dead just as he said, then he is with me just as he said, and there's nothing that is too great. Today, we're not overcome by our sin. There is no sin that is too great for us because Jesus has said that he will give us his spirit to help us walk in truth and obedience. And if Jesus rose from the dead, just as he said, then he has given us his spirit, just as he said, and we are not defeated and overcome by our temptations or our habits or what haunts us from the past. If Jesus rose just as he said, then he has come to bring you abundant life just as he said. Now that may not mean circumstances look different, but that does mean that there is life within bad circumstances. That there's joy within those circumstances. If Jesus rose from the dead, then we can take these words And if God gives us a promise, we can count on it being yes and true. Everything hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. Everything. The question is, do we trust him? Do we trust him? 
The resurrection of Jesus tells me that I can hope for tomorrow. Even when the world gives way beneath my feet, the resurrection of Jesus tells me there's a foundation beneath that that will never give way. Right, the resurrection of Jesus tells me that even though I can't see how tomorrow's gonna play out or how the next week is gonna play out or the next month, that the resurrection of Jesus tells me that he's already there and he can see it and I am safe to follow him. That when Jesus tells me it is better to follow him and to lay down my life, the resurrection says, yes, that's true. E- even when my logic and wisdom is like, that doesn't make any sense. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything for us. Everything. Because it happened just as he told us. So he is true to his word. We can trust him and give our lives to him. And it is good and worth it. So right now, we have, you have to respond to that. Which is what you see in the rest of, of Mark is the response to the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I want to note out, I don't, know, or I don't know if your Bible says this, but mine does. It says some of the earliest manuscripts do not include verses 9 through 20. Right, and so the editors of at least this Bible want to give us as textual critics, us who ask questions, like, hey, let's give you all of the information. A lot of the earliest manuscripts do not include these verses. And so there's a lot of people who say, okay, then I'm not going to include those. The upside is you don't find anything in the verses 9 through 20 that you don't also either see in Matthew, Luke, or John. So there's no heresy here. There's no like, well, this changes the scripture. No, no. In Matthew, Luke, and John, you see doubt. You see that Jesus uh, you know, appears to the disciples, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. You see the great commission given that our response is to receive it and to go and share with others that Jesus is alive and that changes everything. And so we're not gonna teach through these verses because there's, I, I wanna be fair to that. I want to say, okay, some of the earliest manuscripts don't include this, but at the same time, I would have no hesitation with reading it and going, well, this is true. Why? Because Matthew says it too. Because Luke says it too, and there are early manuscripts of those. Does that make sense? So I, I, just, want, I just want to be fair to what we have with Mark. You see all, this also in John as well? And, and I, for one, appreciate that that the editors and the, the, the scholars who are much smarter and have gone before us are saying, hey, here's, what, here's the facts, here's what we have. There are some manuscripts, but they're a little bit older and proper textual criticism says that we should give account to that, right? So I just, I just wanted to, to note that, but what you do see at the end of Mark, what you do see in Matthew, Luke, and John is a response to the resurrection of Jesus. I love that, that even in Matthew, it says that they stood and they looked at the, the risen Jesus, that they worshiped him, but some doubted. I just love that they include that. Like, it's okay to have doubts and questions. It's okay to look at the resurrection and go, this seems otherworldly. But the question is, do, okay, will you trust him? Do you surrender to him? Does your soul, does your gut just say, all right, I, nonetheless, I'm gonna, I gotta follow him. I have lots of questions and doubts. I really do. And yet, it, somewhere just in my gut, I'm like, and yet I, I, I can't help but follow him. Like, that's just, I have to trust him. 
And I think that the Bible allows for that. But what is clear is that you, you, I don't want to say you and I, like just you, I don't do my own. Like we have to respond. If Jesus is alive, the Bible says he is, I believe he is. If Jesus is alive, he demands, our, he deserves our full allegiance and surrender and trust because he has done just what he said. And you are safe to give your all to him because he's good for his word. It changes everything. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.